This is Show Up as a Leader, a show from People Forward Network, helping you maximize your positive impact on the world by becoming your best, fully authentic self. Hi, everybody. You, I think, are just going to feel so normalized and so human and hopefully so inspired from this wonderful conversation I had with an amazing woman, Gianna Driver. She is chief human resource officer for a company called Exabeam, and she just has a track record of leading global teams while creating positive high-performance cultures that are also accountable and fun. And she is the epitome and model of what it means to show up authentically courageous and model vulnerability as a leadership strength. And she really aspires to create work environments where we recognize that people are humans first and employees second. And so before I give you a couple other highlights that you're going to want to make sure you pay attention to and listen for, please make sure to head on over to Apple Podcasts or Podchaser and rate and review this episode. It really does make a difference, and we super appreciate all of the support. So getting back to some things you're going to want to listen to in this conversation with Gianna, she talks about the importance of having line between accountability and holding others accountable and also fostering growth. We talk about one of the gifts that a former coach of mine gave me to help navigate the messy middle. So there's a gift for you in there as well. She talks about wonderful lessons from Ted Lasso that help ground her. And really, what does it mean to create environments where We truly are creating ecosystems for belonging, for diversity, equity, inclusion, and really recognizing that we have to unlearn and relearn and be more focused on getting it right together than trying to have all the answers. There's just such loveliness in Gianna and in our conversation. I think you're going to get a lot out of it. So Gianna, I like am geeky, geeky, geeky excited to talk to you. Because we learned in our first meeting that we are both huge Brene Brown fans and it's shaped a lot of who we are. And as a certified dare to lead facilitator, like I just am so passionate about that work. And so when you told me that you have all of your team members read that book so that you have a common language. So can you just talk a little bit about that? And then we're going to get into how you create a human workplace. I am a huge, huge Brene Brown fan. And so when I learned that you were Dare to Lead certified, instant connection. Brene Brown has created an environment where I just, I I read her books like Dare to Lead. And I feel like there are so many nuggets of knowledge in there that are applicable and pertinent to leaders, to first line level managers, to CEOs, board members, everyone in between. And I think it's really important creating these environments where we're all speaking the same language when it comes to diversity, equity, inclusion, belonging, leadership, development, those types of things. So what we do in that spirit is I do request my team members to read Dare to Lead by Brene Brown. And then we have conversations about that during our offsites. So with that, and I know it's shaped a lot of what you do. And one of the things that really stood out to me and struck me when we first met is you said something really profound that I was like, if everyone espoused to this, like I would be out of a job, we would have more human workplaces. But I think it's so great. You said you really try to operate from the standpoint of we are humans first and employees second. And that 
when we think about that, that leaders have to create an environment so people truly can show up as their authentic self. So can you talk a little bit more about that and then how you're trying to enable and nurture that? We are people first. We are humans first, employees second. Doesn't matter what job you do, what organization you work for. And I think leaders and organizations that are able to embody and embrace the human part first, then create environments where we're able to do our best work. When we know that we can show up and be our authentic selves, that we can make mistakes, that we can suggest ideas, when we can do all of these things without fear of repercussion or without fear of being ostracized or shamed or embarrassed, then we're able to truly be who we are. And I think that it's when we are who we are, we're able to create magic together, which is where innovation is birthed and spawned. I think what, what starts to get a little bit harder is, well, the how part. So the what part is we know that we want to create these environments where people can be themselves and they can bring their full humanity into the workplace. But things start to get a little bit trickier when we talk about how that's done. That gets me my next question. So how do you do that? Because it sounds lovely. And as you're talking, I'm sitting here thinking, yep. And this is why we get called into work with organizations of, you know what, we don't have psychological safety or what does it mean to be your authentic self? Or people have this narrative of, but I can't show up as my authentic self because fill in the blank, you know, it's not safe or people are going to reject me or whatever. So how do you go about taking that from an, a really important concept and idea to being in action and actually happening. So I think that leaders have to walk the walk first. And so things like normalizing mistake making, showing up first as a leader and being at times vulnerable. And to be clear, and Brene Brown talks a lot about this in her work, as you know, being vulnerable doesn't mean that you bring all of your baggage to the table and you're like, oh, you know, that's a separate thing. That is not what we're talking about when we say being vulnerable. Being vulnerable might look like in, in meetings, not always having the answer and saying, you know what, I don't know. And that's okay. What I have learned is we can learn together. It doesn't have to be something where the leader has all of the answers in the room. And when we show up in that authentic, full and vulnerable way, it enables everyone else in the room to also show up fully. And it's not about being right, as, as Brene talks about. It is about getting it right together. And so that means that we can stumble forward. We can learn. We can grow together. I think another part of creating these environments where people can bring their, their full selves to work is around, I've talked about this before, with mistakes and, and accountability, there's a fine line between holding someone accountable to whatever whatever we've agreed to do, but then also investing in their growth and learning. So as an example, in HR, we have people who will make mistakes and that's okay. However, we focus a lot and our HR business partners, I think, do a great job of this bringing employees to the side when mistakes happen and talking about how do we replay that situation, that scenario, so that we ensure this doesn't happen again. And these are the types of actions that start to build high trust environments where we can be fully human. Yeah, I love that. And how often do we not talk about mistakes or we try to cover them up or we get tripped up when it comes to, well, what's the learning from that? And so I, I love all the examples you're giving because people who have, I'm going to say formal people leadership responsibility, because we, again, believe that 
leadership is not a title or a role, but if you do have that title or role, the reality is you do have to go first because leaders set the tone for psychological safety, leaders set the tone for the culture at the local team level. So we have to do this deep inner work before the outer work. So most development tends to focus on behaviors and skills and competencies, but that's outer work or outer game stuff, if you will. And if it's layered on this inner self or this inner game that is full of armor and insecurity and inauthenticity, it's going to be a mismatch. And people see through it. I always say that people want realness and authenticity over polish and perfection any day of the week. I absolutely agree. And what I would add to that is when we are doing this deep personal work, I think it's important to remember this is a journey. It's not a destination. And so in other words, we work on ourselves, we work on our goals, we work with our teams, we do all of these things, but it's not a, a, okay, great. I've arrived. I've worked on myself. I've learned this. Okay. I'm done. (laughs) The cool thing. And sometimes the frustrating thing is that this is a journey. It's that there's a continual and iterative process of learning, of growing, of evolution and iterating too, because as Maya Angelou said, when we know better, we do better. And there's always increasing information and knowledge that comes our way. And so it's okay. It's actually, I think, an act of courage and strength to say, this is what I believed before, but I'm actually updating that belief based on new information or or new experiences or new insights. It reminds me of Adam Grant's latest book, Think Again. He talks about one of the biggest skills or most important skills of leaders, and I would say AKA people, is the ability to unlearn and relearn and to think again. I love Adam Grant. And, you know, gosh, I wish that there was a check the box. You know, I feel like, you know, when you're in the middle of that, we call it the messy middle, but when you're in that messy middle of the growth and the learning and the lessons, like, let's be honest, it's painful and it can downright suck. And you're like, do I really need to learn? (laughs) I had a... I had a coach once, shout out to Barbara Sanderson. I will never forget her. And I've given this out as a gift on behalf of her to so many people. When I was a leader at an organization before I went out on my own and the leadership team, we were all going through immunity to change coaching and work and development. It was this icky stuff that I was like, oh, I don't want to have to deal with this. And she just said, Rosie, just remember, it's another AFOG. And I'm like, what's an AFOG? And she's like, it's another effing opportunity for growth. So I'm like... Whenever I'm in that messy middle, I'm like, a fog, a fog. (laughs) Oh my gosh. Oh my gosh. Well, I've not used those terms before. I will remember that. But it's true. Sometimes when you're going through this work, whether it's the personal work and or the professional work, when you're in it, it's hard stuff. This is messy. It's frustrating, quite frankly. There are times where I want to just pause learning and say, I don't want to do this anymore. (laughs) I just want to curl up into a ball. But you know, there was recently, I don't know if you've watched Ted Lasso or not, but in that he talks about the dark forest. And that actually has provided a lot of comfort for me during moments of frustration or hardship with regard to learning. Because in Ted Lasso, he talks about how when you're going through like fairy tales, when you're going through the dark forest, it ends. Fairy tales don't begin and end in the dark forest. That's part of the process and journey, but you get to the other side. And so what I also tell myself when when I'm going through these really long, hard stretches is it's not forever. I'm in the in-between place, but this will end. And I think knowing yourself well enough to know, 
okay, I know that I am in the middle and that these are some of my triggers and this is why I'm frustrated. Knowing yourself well enough to know when to press pause and you know, take a deep breath, get perspective, and then pick it up again is an absolutely, I think, necessary and needed part of growth. A hundred percent. So with that, given that this is an ongoing journey, I know that even with all the work that you do and how you try to role model this, that this can be a challenge for you. I wondered if you would share a little bit about how you got to this place of really advocating for showing up more authentically and where you still get tripped up. I began my my life journey really humbly. So I grew up in a, a small town in, in East Texas. My mother was a mail order bride from the Philippines, which is where I'm speaking to you from today. So had a very simple upbringing and one that around me was a lot of pain, a lot of hardship, financial hardship, other types of hardship. And for the longest time, I wore those burdens silently because I didn't want others to see me fully because I was afraid if they saw the place where I come from, that I would be treated differently and that I'd be found out. And I now understand through a lot of learning and growth that this is partly called imposter syndrome. So that fear of oh my goodness, one day someone's going to see who I really am and that I don't belong. One day someone's going to look around and I truly used to think they're going to realize that I'm just the small town girl from the backwoods of East Texas and I'm not as good as everyone else. I'm not as smart as everyone else and I'm going to be found out. And that's actually a burden that I still carry today. So to the point we were just talking about around learning is not a destination, that it's a journey, even with all of the development work and the personal growth and all of those things that, that I've done, I still have to pause when I feel these triggers coming up. And I'll be honest, Rosie, they come up more frequently than you might believe. As an example, in many of the conversations at the executive level, unfortunately, now this is changing slowly, but unfortunately, I'm often the only woman in the room or the only person of color in the room. And a trigger for me at times is when I look around and I see that I'm a decade younger than everyone else and I'm the only female and or only person you know, of color, I get I, that those imposter syndrome voices do start to show up. And so it's taken a lot of breathing, a lot of awareness, a lot of these different exercises in order to say, okay, deep breath, I do belong. I do have something to say. I can add value to this room and it's okay to be me. It's actually liberating when you give yourself permission to just kind of take the armor off, be who you are, give it your best shot. Might not be perfect, but it's going to be your best and that's going to be great. There's something to be said for in those moments, right? Oh, I'm noticing myself getting triggered. Like you have something to contribute because how many times do people hold themselves back from sharing an idea or something in a meeting? So there can be that, but then there's, if you know you're going into that meeting or you're having a day where you're triggered, like how do you set yourself up to maybe hopefully not get triggered by that? In addition to, yeah, in that moment, I'm catching myself. I tell myself I belong, but are there other practices you do to try to help mitigate that maybe ahead of time. So I like to know ahead of time, where am I going to be and what what am I trying to get done? So what why am I here? What is the objective of this engagement, this meeting, this interaction, whatever it is? And then I think to myself, okay, that's why I'm here. Here are some of the key points that I'd like to share. And then I also, I it sounds silly saying it out loud, but I will go into the bathroom and I'll take really deep breaths. 
And I find that breath work, if you or others are familiar, can be incredibly grounding. So finding a, a, a quiet you know, space or moment to do some deep breathing exercises. And it's almost like a mini meditation, if you will. And then going back out there and saying, okay, let's do this is just incredibly empowering. Well, I'm not surprised because breath is the center of calm. And we actually teach breathing as a really tangible exercise. And it doesn't have to be you know, meditation, but there is something about what breath physiologically does to calm that nervous system that's going haywire. And there is something that it does to help us focus. And so, yeah, we in the Dare to Lead work, we talk about breath being the center of calm and that whether you are someone who regularly practices and leans into mindfulness or you're someone, what I appreciate about Brene when we were doing our training, she's like, look, I don't like this shit and whatever, but I know it's necessary. I'm like, that's me. Like I've had such a hard time with yoga and meditation because I just, I can't shut my brain down. But when I realize when I take deep breaths, when I take that pause, there is something for lack of better words, magical that it calms you down. And it's like, okay, can you have a regular breathing practice? Even if for whatever reason, you know, meditation or reflection or something isn't your thing, there still is something to be said for, we have to have some kind of practice to disrupt that reactivity and get us back to calm and get us back to some rational thought. And this is where I think also in the middle of meetings, I've learned you can also take a deep breath, find that inner center and calm and then continue. And it's odd. I don't know what the science says on this, but if you do it, I've learned, you know, three, four, five times, it, it just, it creates mental clarity and stability in a way that I can start to string some thoughts together and <laughs> hopefully make, make sense. But I think that more, more globally, I think it's knowing your triggers. I think also going into it, doing a little bit of prep work ahead of time to say, okay, this is who I am. This is the purpose of the meeting. This is what I'd like to contribute. I'm going to be me. I'm going to give this my best shot, ground and center, and then go for it. Well, I love that because how often do we prep for a meeting? Like there's an agenda and we're thinking about what are the tasks, but we don't think about the personal prep of how we want to show up, right? We just, we're focused on the task. So I love everything about that. So I want to circle back to something when you talked about, you know, sometimes being the only female in the room or the only person of color in the room, obviously a lot of organizations are paying better attention to diversity, equity, inclusion, belonging. Talk to me about how you view the ecosystem around DEI, what it actually means. Because if we're going to have environments where people really can show up as their fully authentic self, we have to recognize that there are a lot of people that it doesn't feel safe for them to do that. And there's been decades and centuries of systemic oppression and people carry that trauma with them through generations. So how do we truly start to look at the bigger context so that we we get this right rather than having it be a token effort. Absolutely. So uh, that this is a multifaceted question, Rosie. I, I love the question. I'm going to start with the last part first, which is around the getting it right part. And I think it's really important for leaders and for organizations to be clear that this is a getting it right together process. So we're going to start somewhere. It's not the final place. And we're going to grow and change and evolve. We're going to get it right, which going back to the journey, that is a journey. This isn't a once and done 
done, here is the answer. And it takes cooperation, collaboration, communication, all of those things with all of our teams and employees. So what what I would say to the point to your question around how do we create these environments where people can be their full selves, people can be psychologically safe and have these high trust environments. I think that it starts by creating places where the diverse populations are supported. So underrepresented minority groups, it's not enough to just have people present. We want to have these individuals be that folks of color, people of different orientations, different upbringings, differentness in all shapes and forms. We want to support these individuals as best we can in our communities. So this could be our work community. This could be in other places. Well, how do we do that? Well, you ask them, survey them, have town halls, have small focus groups, ask these individuals and these groups of people how they are doing. Do they feel supported? Do they feel that they belong? And if the answer to that is no, well, then the conversation becomes, what can we do to create spaces that would show you that you do belong here and that we do value you and want your contributions? For me professionally, what this has looked like is oftentimes, especially during the pandemic, we've seen that women have taken on a disproportionate amount of work, work in our personal lives at home with our families, which impacts our ability to work in the workplace. And so through some of these conversations and surveys and focus groups, we've realized Okay, having more flexibility for for women in particular allows them to be the, their best selves and bring all that they can bring to the workplace every day. It's not necessarily a clock in, clock out, nine to five. We've also had conversations with people who learn differently, sometimes engaging with people through different forms. So through Zoom, as an example, having the auto captions as an option there for people who might not necessarily receive information in an auditory way. They need to sit with something, read with something, digest it. So the point is, I think supporting these underrepresented minority groups as best we can is how we start to create these cultures and environments of more safety and more humanity. Yeah. Shocking, right? Why don't you talk to people and actually listen and actually like take in their feedback? Oh my goodness. And I say that flippantly, but the reality is, and we, again, we get this so many times we're brought into organizations to help them. How do we help people navigate through change? How do we help them rally around this? And you know, you hear so often that so much of the challenges around change, it's the people side. We care for, oh, we'll put in lean and six sigma, we'll put in all these processes, but we're not thinking about the complex, messy human beings that you are asking to do things differently. And what we know is that as human beings, we are hardwired to seek out familiarity and comfort, and we will postpone or put off difficult decisions as much as possible because it's kind of in our DNA or our biology. And so when I think about what you said, and so, okay, you're going to listen, you're going to get this feedback, and there can be a lot of shame that comes with that. If they haven't felt like they belong, it's not going to be a unicorn and roses conversation, right? You're going you're to get some tough feedback or some things that might be unsettling or hard to hear from my perspective, if we're going to have truly diverse, equitable, inclusive workplaces where people feel like they belong and they can be their authentic self, there's a whole lot of embracing change, embracing discomfort that has to come with that. Can you say a little bit more about your experience with that and how you see it at your organization? 
There's a saying that I heard not too long ago that I absolutely love, and it goes something like, everybody wants transformation, but few people embrace change. (laughs) <laughs> and so if we, if we, which is true, I mean, change is scary. People I think can get in their comfort zones, myself included. I don't want to change. This is comfortable. This is known. I like this. However, for us to improve and to innovate and to grow, we have to transform. You can't transform if you're doing everything the exact same way that you've always done it. And so being comfortable with change and with trying something new and different is essential to growth. Now, to your question around unlearning, I think might be a way to to frame this and to, to think about it. I think in the unlearning and the relearning process, there are gentle ways that we can hold ourselves and hold others accountable. And I think that starts by saying, here's where we are. Here's where we want to be. Here's my contributions to that and how I want to show up as a leader. Here's how I want to do better. And going back to the DEIB conversations, you're right. There are times where you ask people what they think. Well, they're going to tell you what they think. And sometimes that hurts. And there are been times, you know, professionally, especially given some of the events around racial reckoning and whatnot, where we've heard from our employees, we've stumbled at times. We haven't always made the absolute correct decisions every single time. I think acknowledging that and saying, I'm sorry, that was not the intent. I realize that there's a better way to do this. Here's how I'd like to work on doing this better in the future. I'm probably still going to stumble at times, but I'd like you to help me learn and improve and get better. What I have found is when we can have those types of conversations with our teams and our employees, they run toward us embracing the process and the outcome, and they become part of the solution because we've invited them to give us feedback. We've invited them to say, mm, yeah, when we're doing you know, this, this, and this, I didn't see myself represented at all in the lineup of award recipients or whatever it is. That hurts. That makes me wonder if people like me can get there. And it's like, oh, wait, hold on a second. We didn't think about it through that lens. That's a very fair point. So then I think it's about correcting those behaviors and doing better. It's better, not perfection, right? Because perfection doesn't doesn't exist. That's not the goal, right? No. And one of the things that I appreciate about what you just shared is how often, and you probably get this in your work where people are like, hey, you know, we need to skill up this person or these leaders to be able to deliver feedback more effectively. And when you were talking about that, what came up for me is anytime that we are asked to do work with people around feedback, like I will say, first of all, like nothing less than two hours. And the whole first hour is self-awareness and knowing your triggers. And then it's receiving feedback and then it's listening. And then we can finally talk about how you give feedback. And so I, and why that came up for me as you were talking is I hear so often, well, we don't want to do an engagement survey or we don't want to do a culture survey or yeah, it makes sense to do focus groups or listening sessions or whatever form of feedback gathering. But there's such a fear, like you said, of we're going to hear stuff that stinks. So we're just not going to ask the question. And I always say, but it's the elephant in the room and it doesn't go away just because you don't ask it. If you are brave enough and courageous enough to give a space for it to surface, even if you know it's going to sting, even if you're not sure what you're going to do with it, that's like the first step. Totally. Well, what's going to happen is 
people are going to have these conversations, whether you create space for them or not. And so I think it's essential that we as leaders create environments and channels and forums for feedback giving and receiving and for this type of communication, because that then allows us to listen. You can't listen unless you're engaged in dialogue and in communication. So I think to, to the point of diversity, equity, inclusion, and belonging, when we do ask for feedback and for people's thoughts on things, it's part of active listening, right? It's creating an environment and inviting people to share their thoughts with you. It's saying, bring the messy, bring everything. Then it's processing that and saying, okay, teams, here's what I heard you say. I heard this, this, and this. Here's what we're going to do about that. We're going to work on this thing. We're going to work on this thing. I think also being very clear, here are the things that we're not going to work on at this time for various different reasons. Here's what we are going to work on. And then following up, whether that's a month later, a quarter later, six months later, and saying, as a reminder, here's that list of everything we said we were going to work on. Here's how we're doing against that, whether it's a green light, red light, yellow light system, or whatever might be appropriate for the team. And I think being very honest and transparent in those conversations creates a lot of trust with employees. Employees don't want to necessarily be told everything's perfect and hunky-dory all the time if that's not the reality. They will see through that in a (laughs) split second. So being real with people and saying, yeah, here's our progress to date. Let's celebrate the wins together, but let's also roll up our sleeves and work on the areas of development together as well. If people know that they've been heard and they know that there's authentic, intentional effort to move things forward. If they have an opportunity to be part of it, whatever that was like, my voice was heard, or I'm going to, hey, we're going to leverage the wisdom and collective talents of, of the people who this impacts. I think that there's such an opportunity to bring more people into the process and have more voices be heard so that it's really a co-created, like your culture, your work experience you want everyone kind of bought into the same values and purpose and how we show up. And so if they're not part of co-creating what that looks like, people only support what they've helped to create. So why wouldn't we want to include them in the process? Absolutely. What's helpful, I think, too, is when we as leaders are able to say, here was our starting place based on these different things that we've heard and what you've said. Here's how we're iterating this or modifying it, updating it. I also think it's important in these processes to be clear with people. Here's a body of of feedback that we did here, but we're not working on that at this time or we're not actioning X, Y, and Z because of these different reasons. That allows the feedback giver to know, okay, they heard me. I get it. Maybe they can't do this right now or there are competing priorities, but it helps them, I think, have empathy and understanding for where the leader or the organization is coming from. So with that, I mean, and you and I could probably talk all day, but you know, you mentioned something earlier. And so I, I want to invite you to elaborate this. So when you talked about your own struggles, sometimes with imposter syndrome and what you do, this may or may not be your answer to this question. But one of the things that I've learned is you're right. Imposter syndrome is so common or people feel like I don't belong or I'm not enough or whatever that narrative is. And whether that's your self-limiting narrative or not, what I have learned from experience is that part of being human besides seeking out familiarity and comfort is that we all have some version of that self-limiting story that has us wanting to armor up, that has us wanting to self-protect, that has us wanting to either shrink down or puff up rather than stay in our sacred size. So what I would love if you'd be willing to share, Gianna, is what is a self-limiting story that you still tell yourself 
And when it shows up, what do you do so that you can move beyond it and still show up as a leader in your life and maximize your positive impact around you? So I've got multiple ones that are bubbling up and coming to the forefront of my mind. I am going to go back to imposter syndrome because that is such a big one for me personally. Even in in the last couple of weeks, there have been multiple times where I've been in meetings and not been able to get a word in edgewise. But then my imposter syndrome starts to kick in and it's like, well, I I don't know that I have anything really value adding to say anyway. Or if I say this, maybe I'll make a mistake or they'll realize that I actually don't know what I'm talking about or I'm not as good as they think. All of those voices that that start to come up and a trigger for me, this is a separate podcast, but a trigger for me at times is being in these rooms with a lot of older straight white men. Just I and I know myself well enough to know that often can be a very intimidating experience for me and it can be a trigger for me. And so what I try to do is A, have kindness toward myself and to say, you know what, Gianna, it's okay to feel how you feel. There are different reasons rooted in my background and childhood and et cetera for feeling this way. So don't beat yourself up over feeling this way. It's okay to feel that way. But then to say, you might make a mistake. It's true. You might open your mouth. You might you know, say something that's not exactly perfect or that's not right, but you will have at least contributed and tried. So be patient with yourself, be kind to yourself, say what you have to say, because withholding and not saying anything is is almost selfish because I'm preserving my own feelings here when actually, if I've got these thoughts, I owe it to others to contribute and to share all that I can to make things better. And so then it's like, okay, all right, I, I've got this. And so in, in group meetings, and again, this happened a couple of weeks ago, I'll go off mute and I'll say, I do have something to add and I'll give it my best shot. And it's interesting because almost all the time, those have been comments that others have said, wow, like, oh, that's actually didn't think about it that way. Or, you know, thanks for bringing that up. Or I didn't realize that's a really interesting perspective and that's helped shape the the trajectory of the conversation. I still struggle with these. It's still a process for, for me. You're in good company, right? A lot of people do. And as you were talking about you, I'm going to speak up. It reminds me of the Theodore Roosevelt man in the arena quote that the credit doesn't belong to the person who doesn't enter the arena. Like you're entering the arena and guess what? When we show up authentically, make no mistake that we're going to make mistakes. We're going to fall down. We're going to say something clumsy. We're going to screw up, but at least we showed up. At least we opened our mouth. And and yeah, so I, I love everything about that. And I and I recognize it's an ongoing journey, but I also love the kind of self-talk and narrative you have to yourself to try to reframe that because I think that's what we have to do. We have to recognize whatever that self-limiting story is for us or stories, because we most of us do have multiple. And then try on, well, what is an alternative story? Like I am robbing people of an opportunity to, to learn a different perspective, or, you know, I do have something valuable to share, or I don't have to have this perfect. I just need to get it out there. It can be refined. And so I think it's starting to bring a practice of, I know that this is the one, two, three, four stories that I consistently tell myself. And just, just like you would try on some different clothes and go, oh, does this fit? Do I like it? Maybe, maybe not. Like you try on a new story and go, does that serve me better? Did it work? Did it not work? Like you just keep trying it on. So until you have a go-to replacement. Absolutely. The, and then the thing that, that I've learned recently, somewhat recently is 
to close the loop there, it's post-event, post-fact, post-meeting, whatever it is, to allow time for reflection, to go back and to say, wow, okay, let's replay what happened. Okay, I'm happy that I did X, Y, and Z, but what I'd also like to work on is A, B, and C perhaps, right? And so that's where I think it can be really magical to go back and to celebrate the wins and being in the arena, but then to also say, okay, perhaps I modify or tweak here and work on this particular thing. But that, at least for me, helps to solidify some of the learning so that it is something that's ongoing. And so I can focus on on doing better next time, even though whatever may have happened was good. Well, okay, there's always room to, to tweak it and modify it a little bit too. Well, and that's such an important but overlooked part of being an effective leader. And I would say just being an effective human in our lives is that reflection. Because if you look at any of the research, they say that the most effective people, most effective leaders spend four to five hours in deliberate reflection learning each week. But in our go, 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 go society, we just go, oh, and we move on. But whether you journal, whether you reflect, if you don't have time, either at the beginning of your day or end of your day to look at, okay, what went well? What would I do differently? Like that's where the learning and growth happens. So if we're not creating that space for ourselves, but also creating a space for others to normalize reflection, I think that's also a missed opportunity. I love the way you phrased that as normalizing reflection, because I do think that's a lot of what it is, normalizing it, building it into our daily practice and our, our daily routines. Because I know in the every day when you're going from task to task, meeting to meeting, email to email, it's so easy to get sucked into the vortex. But that's not where big, big thoughts, big thinking, big learning and growth happen. That happens in the quiet moment between spaces. Bam, mic drop. Yes, it does. <laughs> so, <laughs> all right. I love this. And I, and I would, could talk forever, but I want to transition. Are you ready for our quick questions segment? Yes, I, I'm a little scared, but let's go for it. Ah, don't be scared. <laughs> okay. Fill in the blank. Living authentically is hard. True that. <laughs> <laughs> hard, but necessary. Yeah. Yes. Yes. When the world is presenting an opening, but you don't feel like showing up as a leader, what do you do? Take a deep breath. Feel my center. Remember my purpose and then go for it. What is something people would be surprised to know about you? I get scared a lot. <laughs> I think often in the professional world, it's easy to be perceived as the person who's calm, confident, secure, has a lot of the answers. But I think to really, truly know me, people, as they've gotten to know me, have commented to me about how, wow, didn't realize that, yeah, you got a lot of fears and you get scared too. So I do think that's something that people initially can get wrong. But you know what? Courage is not acting in the absence of fear. It's acting with the fear. Absolutely. There you go. Okay. <laughs> what is your favorite go-to movie? Ooh, oh gosh. Oh, that's so hard. There's so many go-tos that are great. I love the old school Indiana Jones movies. He never loses his hat ever. <laughs> I know. Oh my gosh. I love those. So yeah, any place, anytime, always down for those. I've got a whole bunch of other movies that I could rattle off as well, but I'd say the old school Indiana Jones, anytime. Amazing. Awesome. All right. What's your go-to song? 
Oh, goodness. So going back to my roots, I'm a huge 90s country fan. (laughs) That might be something many people would probably get wrong about me too. And so any song by Alabama, which is a old school country band, I probably know most of the words too. Play me some out music. And if you're going to play in Texas, you got to have a fiddle in the band, man. Yes! Come on. Oh my gosh. Rosie, you were cool before. You've just like elevated 25 points in coolness. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> I think I have all their greatest hits. I'm not a big country person, but Alabama's classic. I mean, come on. I agree. Like, seriously. Oh my gosh. Yes. <laughs> okay. <laughs> what is something you can't live without? Mm, my daughter. My daughter, Abigail, who's nine, and just she's a blessing and joy and just makes my life so much more incredible. She's amazing. Oh, love that. Love that. What is something in your ordinary daily life that makes your heart happy? Can I copy paste and say Abigail again? Of course you can copy paste. (laughs) (laughs) Abigail gets double here. It's awesome. (laughs) Totally. Totally. Yeah. Two scoops for her. (laughs) I love it. I love it. All right. And last but not least, what are you grateful for right now? I'm grateful for the work that that you and we and others are doing, Rosie. This is hard work. It's necessary work. And I'm so grateful that we live in a time and era and space and place where people are hungry for these learnings, these insights, this this consciousness. Like it's just something that I think historically the world has not been in a place to receive. And so it's just an incredibly beautiful place to be. Is it perfect? No, absolutely not. But therein lies the opportunity. And I'm so grateful to be at this time and space and able to engage in these types of conversations. Absolutely. So my closing question for you, if you could challenge leaders everywhere to practice this one behavior, that would create more human workplaces and equip everybody to show up as a leader, what would that be? I would say approaching situations with kindness, empathy, openness, and vulnerability. I think if we are able to do that, we will create spaces where we can show up, be our full selves, do our best work, and honestly have a lot of fun in the process. I'm Rosie Ward, and this is Show Up as a Leader. To learn more, head over to peopleforwardnetwork.com and, of course, hit that follow button.